Welcome to A Pint With Nature. It's the circle of life, and it moves us all. Through despair and hope. I don't remember that line, do you? No. Through faith and love. I don't remember any hope of Hope and despair. That's, that's, that's life and death. Oh... Welcome to another episode of A Pint With Nature. And I think Sorrel might have given it away a little bit. There. Uh, I might have uh, given it away. But it was the, it shows it was a perfect song for this week's episode, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Because this week we are indeed talking about life and death. Over a few drinks of vocations, life and death. Yeah. But there is a bit of a sadness in this episode, I'd say, Sorrel. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. You know why? Well, 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 we've got the death bit, I guess. Death, death is bit. always sad. The death's sad. always sad. Death is always and sad. And unfortunately, today is no different, because today is the death of season two of A Pie With Nature. Right, yeah. It's all over, mate. Well, I'll tell you what. This is why you have to balance life and death together, I think, because death is sad. Life is beautiful and really positive. So you have to think the death of season two means in the future... The birth of You have the birth three. of season three, so... It's bound to be a humdinger, season three. It's bound to be. <laughs> it's we're, we're in our stride now. Yeah. yeah. They say they do say rule of three, so so you need at least three, and then they say... Third time's the charm. Third time's the charm. Third time's the charm. There you go. So third season's bound to be the best, so yeah. tune in then. Yeah. But for now, let me tell you a little bit about the beer that we're drinking this week. And if you couldn't tell, Sorrel and I are in person, which we is are, a, lovely, we are, we are. a lovely little treat. As we talk about death. But anyway, <laughs> on to the beer. <laughs> and let me tell you first of all, that to make this beer in a barrel, they used three kilos of hops and 40 kilos of barley. And they, they describe as, they die so that our beers may live. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. And... It's an IPA, if you don't know this, Sarah and I are big IPA fans. In a US sort of style, I think you'd probably call it quite a, an American tasting beer. I can sense that, yeah, yeah. despite the fact that it was born in Yorkshire. Uh, Yorkshire. Well, middle ground, middle ground. What? Well, Yorkshire's probably midway between India and... Why India? Why is it IPA? It stands for India. Oh, Island. I see, I see. So we got, we've got America, India... Yorkshire mm. is probably... I bet it's bang in the centre, actually. Yeah. We should but get a map. We should, we should. Anyway, we'll have to leave this episode here to go and get a map, unfortunately. But yeah, hold on. Give us a few minutes, guys. <laughs> no, but it's it's very tropically, quite citrusy, a bit malty, smooth. Yeah. It's, it's very nice, but let me tell you a little bit about the inception of vocation. The birth of <laughs> vocation, I might say. Yeah. Well, before making the company, the man John Hicklin was working in IT for a bank, so not necessarily the most exciting of jobs. And he decided, you know what? I want to work on something other than spreadsheets. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a beer company. So he did. Yeah. He made a beer company in his garage basically, using plastic buckets and parts from his local hardware store, and he made a business. And then he co founded his first brewery in two thousand eight and sold it. Got rid of it. Oh. Yeah. He finally got his dream of his own brewery and he sold it. And once he had sold it, he suddenly realised that oh that working as a brewery that wasn't just my job, it was my vocation was his description of his okay. situation. And as a result, he started from scratch, he rebuilt, accumulated the knowledge he'd gained at his first brewery, and he, in 2015, created the Vocation Brewery. Only 2015! That's quite one of our recent. most recent ones. Yes, very, very recent. Yeah, yeah. So in 2015, he started with one member of staff and a rebuilt chicken shed and a dog for company. Nice. And today, they have over 60 members of staff and sell the equivalent of 10 million cans of beer a year. Wow. Yeah, a long way. And as they say, they've come a long way but it's still their vocation. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. They're not they're not close to death yet then if that, if those numbers are anything to show by. Mm, mm. No, in fact this is just the start for vocation I feel and it is a yeah. it's a very nice beer this one. Well, at the start of our episode, I think we should talk about the start of not only the the beer that we're drinking but the start of life mm. generally and how amazing and how wonderful but also how strange and also why why just generally as well. So we'll talk about we'll talk about the start of life. We all know a lot of the usual ways of how life starts, but I think the the point of this whole episode was to mention the unusual ways mm. that life starts mm. and how life comes about in you know it beats all the obstacles and yet it's still here so we'll mention a few species that that still exist even though the ways that they give birth to their offspring are, mm. are insane well let me tell you one extreme obstacle that a certain animal has to come over giraffes now have you ever seen a giraffe sitting down i don't remember seeing a giraffe sitting down i don't think i have actually no and well i they obviously don't like it because they actually give birth standing up which is pretty amazing because like you know you think all that stress all that pain you probably want to sit down but they give birth standing up but of course what that means is that when the baby is actually born it of course when the baby is actually born it can drop from up to like six feet to the ground quite high that's, that's well when we jump six feet that's that's a long distance that's you break, a, that's you break a, your leg it's a brick wall you have to yeah. bend your knees don't you yeah but no this baby giraffe would fall from six feet and the reason that this is in place is so that the baby giraffe which weighs between about 100 and 150 pounds can break the umbilical cord that's attached to its mother oh clever it is quite clever clever it is quite clever now baby giraffes are actually born about six feet tall as well so oh, okay, okay. The high, well you know but it's not like they're going to fall directly onto their feet. Yeah, true. They could fall on their neck. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. But another really interesting fact about giraffes is that the whole process starts, obviously, at the, the copulation. And for giraffes, a male knows when a female is fertile or not, is that he would drink the female's urine and from tasting the urine he can tell if the female is ready for having babies or not yeah that's uh that's actually you know it's a bit it's a bit gross but once you start thinking about it it makes a lot of sense because <laughs> i'm not going to start doing it <laughs> <laughs> but i mean we, we have pregnancy tests and you we you on do a pregnancy we test yeah, yeah, and that's, that, true. that's how you test if you're pregnant or not so i just we've mm. just not as males adapted to tasting the compound that tells whether you're pregnant or not so really you know we should maybe take a step backwards forget about pregnancy tests and uh, do as nature does. Yeah, what, that's a classic example of, of humans not evolving and causing the world to evolve around us. Mm. Give us enough time, we could probably taste what's in we. But we decided to go, oh no, we can invent We went our too. own way. Yeah, which is silly really, because oh. we've lost that whole... So silly. Yeah. But that is a big obstacle to overcome, I think. You know, dropping from six, six foot. foot. Yeah, that's the first thing that ever happens in your life as yeah. well. Yeah, For, you know, throw them into the deep end. Yeah. Drop them from six foot. That is, that is a literal example of throwing them in at the deep end. That's mm. good. Well, I can talk about something that isn't necessarily thrown in at the deep end, but an animal that lives in the deep end. Oh, that... Do you like that? That is very good. <laughs> very good. I'm hoping this is some sort of fish-related fact now. So it's an animal that lives in its own urine. No, 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 oh. no, no, no. That'd be, that'd be too far. <laughs> this is a type of fish. Actually, a shark. Oh, a shark. To, a be, shark. More, to be more specific. Mm. And you've probably heard of it. Wait, let me see. Well, who can name more sharks? Uh, okay. Let's All see right, if I yeah. have heard of it. Yeah, go on. All right, well, we'll go for great white. Basking. Ooh. Whale. Whale shark. Tiger. Hammerhead. Oh! Oh, is that it? You made it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, oh, we're still we'll getting, carry we're still on. Yeah, yeah. Let's see if we can keep going. I got put off by... By celebrations. By celebrations. Nurse. White tip reef. Ah, uh, straight back at me. Um... I've got another as well. Do you actually? Yeah. How well do you know sharks? Apparently better than you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. No. I was going to say the cookie cutter shark, which is a really cool little small shark. Oh, oh. There's there's plenty more out there as well, but I'm yeah. just happy for the win. Well done. Thank you, you. Thank you. But sorry, yeah, tell us about the hammerhead then. So the hammerhead, yeah, the hammerhead shark obviously lives in the in the oceans. Mate with nailhead sharks. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My example comes from, not necessarily from the actual ocean itself, but there have been occurrences of this in nature. Not necessarily documented though. The prime example is in 1999. Oh, that's the year we were born. Oh yeah. Well, this is a birth story for the oh, year we were born. Oh, there you go. Maybe yeah, this, mate. maybe this was you. It was meant to, yeah, it was meant to be though, at least. Yeah. <laughs> in 1999, a captive hammerhead shark in a Nebraska zoo gave birth to another hammerhead. But you'd hope so. <laughs> well, yeah, that'd be weird. <laughs> gave if birth to a human. Yeah. <laughs> but in the enclosure in the zoo, there was only one hammerhead shark. So there's only the female shark in the enclosure. So that means that the female hammerhead shark. Reproduced asexually Ooh. to give birth to another hammerhead shark. And scientists call these sort of births parthenogenesis. Ooh. You struggled with that one, didn't I you? I did. That's a, that's a long one, isn't it? Parthenogenesis. Parthenogenesis. There we go. So it's basically like giving birth to a clone of yourself. Oh. Only a few other animals are known to do this. Oh, I, I can tell you one. Can you? Mm. Oh. Yeah. It's another animal I've been looking into this week, Sarah. The flatworm. Oh, do you remember yeah. the flatworm? Yeah. We, we certainly studied it a little bit at undergrad. Mm. And they do have the the ability to do it slightly differently where they will actually split off a piece of their own body that can then grow into a second worm mm, is that the so whole therefore... sort of like theory that you chop a worm in half yeah but I don't, think, two... I don't think that is actually true that's not it, true I think it we arises from debunk that myth but yeah, we debunk that, that myth, myth but comes that from the flat flatworms can do it yeah. flatworms can in fact do it yeah. but that is actually one of three methods of flatworms getting pregnant oh, yeah. they can also lay fertilised eggs that grow in a cocoon inside their bodies and that are fertilised using their own eggs and own sperm. So I guess that is probably the sort of actually probably closer to what your hammerhead is, mm. that they use their own sperm and their own eggs because they do have both and they can fertilise themselves. Then there's the slightly more famous third way that flatworms can get impregnated. Do you know it, Sorrel? Sex? Well, sort of, but it's a very special type. Hermaphrodite? No. Well, yeah. That's different again, I isn't guess it? it sort of is. Yeah. They are hermaphrodites, so I guess... You don't remember this? No, I don't. Um, Penis fencing. So yeah. flatworms take part in a in a well, what I now think should be a, the next Olympics, a, a sport almost of penis fencing. Children watch the Olympics, you know. <laughs> Penis fencing is basically a competition that two flatworms, when they meet, will try to force their sperm into the exterior skin of the other flatworms. They will basically use their penises to fence and try and pierce the other one so that they can impregnate the other flatworm and they themselves will therefore have children, but they won't have to bear the burden of carrying. Clever, clever. Very clever. So it's a very selfish... Very selfish, ...advantage. Yeah. A very clever mechanism that nature has got, where it's like sort of really it's just whoever's fittest out of the two yeah. will therefore not have to carry the baby. Yeah, yeah. So I'm afraid, Sorrel, you're going to have to carry the baby. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so there you go. They're not the only sort of example of a, an animal that produces clones like the hammerhead. Yeah, well, I mean, there's the big one that we're sort of glossing over, which is plants. Because I don't think mm. I don't think we talk enough on this episode, on, or well, on this podcast generally mm. about plants. Because we'll have to have a plant episode. We do point. need a plant episode. Yeah. For all you plant lovers, yeah, hang in there. Season coming. three, we'll yeah. have some plant episodes. It'll all be plants, and then you'll be bored. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. 
plants are the basis of all animals that exist. So without plants, these animals that we're talking about couldn't exist. But they are the almost kings of asexual reproduction. And then, what a uh, thing to be a king of. Yeah. <laughs> Even some crops that you may have heard of. Tomatoes, mint, basil, peppers, rosemary. All these sort of ones. You're just listing a salad there. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice salad. That It's got the herbs, it's got the veg, it's got the fruit, everything. <laughs> Easy. But the reason that you know we have this asexual reproduction, and especially in plants, is because the population can basically just increase rapidly when the conditions are favourable to the species. So... It doesn't have to rely on a mate, so it's time efficient, energy efficient, doesn't need to go searching for a mate, doesn't need to rely on any other organism, and it is way faster than sexual reproduction as well. Mm. So when the conditions are favourable, plants essentially asexually reproduce all the time, except they can't do it all the time. Because, as we've talked about in previous episodes, and this is a callback to our to when we talk about cheetahs and other, you know, especially in our desperados one where species are desperate. Asexual reproduction or reproduction with species that have similar genes, in this case they would have exactly the same genes, always leads to inbreeding. Mm. So that is that is one of the main advantages as to why sexual reproduction happens as opposed to asexual but plants are the kings of asexual reproduction and we've got to give them a shout out in this section about talking sex sure. uh, <laughs> nice <laughs> it's easy it's easy when you don't even have to try isn't yeah. it it just, it just flows it just flows but yeah it, well there's always been there's always been examples with asexual reproduction the plants are reaching maturity faster and they're even sturdier as well so they can survive harsher conditions when, yeah. they're, when they're produced asexually as well so, so that's uh, that's plants covered now, right? We can go back to the interesting let's, animals. Let's go back to the interesting animals. That's the, that's the plant bit. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, I do think plants are amazing. I'm sure we'll have some episodes of them in the future. We definitely will. We definitely very will. Very interesting, so yeah. very interesting facts there. But I will take us back to animals here, and I'll tell you about kitchlids. Kitchlid fish. Yeah, very famous for having basically exploded in numbers in in African lakes. So that there's so many different species of them. But they are, when reproducing, will have the male put the fertilized eggs in his mouth, where they will stay until hatching. And this is called mouth brooding, mm. which is really cool. I mean, the fact that the male just carries the eggs in, in his, his mouth, mouth until yeah. they, they hatch. The male fish is not able to eat in this time. It's probably the most obvious question that you'd have. You can't. Yeah, eat. Well, yeah. it can't. Yeah, no. So how does it? survive then? What's it? Well, apparently sometimes the female fish will carry the, the eggs in her mouth for a short period. Temporary, while the and they'll try, yeah, they'll trade off. Right. And this is called biparental mouth brooding. But typically, when the fish are born via mouth brooding, they're often underweight at first and will require time to sort of feed and grow. Makes so sense. They are born slightly less advanced than other animals yeah. that don't do mouth brooding. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because you've, you've almost been protected th- this whole time. So you're not going to be prepared for the outside world almost you know (laughs) because you've been kept inside and protected the whole time so well you might think that they're more protected in the mouths but that's not always true because just as Superman has Lex Luthor and Batman has the Joker Mm. Kitchlid fish have cuckoo catfish which raise their young by doing something rather wicked okay do you know what the cuckoo does Sorrel yeah so the cuckoo it places its eggs into other birds nests mm. so that the other bird sort of mimics the egg shape and the egg colour of, of the other bird so the, mm. the other bird raises it as its own and then once that baby egg hatches the cuckoo egg hatches is usually known to eat the other eggs yeah or push them out the nest or push them out the nest yeah, yeah. well the, the cuckoo catfish 
does very similar. It actually is known to swim over and lay an egg in the mouth of the kitsch lid for her to carry. And whilst this is happening, the male will, of course, dive in to fertilise the eggs that he thinks the female is laying, but it's actually the, the cuckoo catfish's eggs. And it all happens so quickly that he doesn't realise, and of course then the male takes it up in his mouth. And because the cuckoo catfish eggs tend to grow much faster and hatch faster, they will often hatch and then eat the eggs of the, the kitsch lid fish oh. inside the mouth, and then they can swim off and have a great little life. So when those eggs are actually, when the male kitsch lid opens its mouth, it's and just, it's expecting this burst of life. It's just a it's one, just this one, one catfish. Catfish. Yeah, it's quite sad, really. It's quite sad, it's quite sad. But, but it's another interesting It's another interesting way of that's being how, born. That's how life and death oh. are intertwined. It's the circle of life. It is the circle of life. It is the circle of life. They're always intertwined. There's so many examples of how life and death are intertwined. One example, the most obvious example of this, is the prey mantis. Oh, okay. So when the female prey mantis and the male prey mantis mate, it has been well documented that the female prey mantis eats the male mm. immediately after mating. So, you know, this is one of those intertwined life and death things because in the process of creating life, the male dies. Mm. Now, I've always wondered, I think I've always wondered why. You know, why, why does the female eat the male? What is the advantage of this? Because mm, especially in mammals, you know, there's, there's always an advantage of having two parents around, especially in penguins, for instance. You know, you see penguins and there's always... One goes off to eat while the other one takes care of the oh, yeah, takes yeah, care yeah. of the young. But this this sacrifice of the male because you know it's not it's not almost, it's not a fight. The female kills just, just kills just kills the male, and the male accepts that, that after it's mated, so it's its death is upon it. It gives it a distinct reproductive advantage. Now, females who eat their male partners after sex, they actually produce more eggs than those who don't. And the reason for this is because by eating the male, the female increases its nutrient intake. So therefore it has more nutrients to therefore distribute to its eggs. Which means that not only are the males not useful at all, the nutrients that come from the male are going straight into its offspring as well as its genes. So it's helping its own offspring get stronger by being eaten. See, I thought when you were going to say that the obvious example, I thought you were going to say spiders. Because ah, okay. of course spiders do the same sort of thing where they the do. male is often eaten they do. by the, the female after, after mating. They are an obvious example. But not only that, but often when the eggs hatch... The, the mother will, in fact, allow her body to be consumed by the offspring. And this provides a first nutritional meal that ensures that the offspring can survive. And there's been a lot of debate about these sorts of deaths. There's a lot of debate online about whether this constitutes as animal suicide. Mm. And there are yeah. other examples as well. Yeah. See, I've, I've got it labelled as animal sacrifice, but I could definitely see mm. how it's... How it could be called animal suicide. Yeah, well, there was one quote that I found very interesting, which, which argues one side, which is that, what is suicide? It is inducing your own mortality. But how can you induce it if you don't know you have mortality? It is therefore quite logical that suicide is uniquely human. Okay, so I do understand that point of view. Yeah. But that's, that's almost... Like arrogantly saying mm. that animals don't know that they're gonna die. I agree. I I agree with you. I I think I think the quote is is wrong. Yeah. Because there are actual other examples of suicide by animals, but they are often confused with examples where the animal hasn't killed itself from choice, but from something else happening. So I'll give you an example of something that it what does appear as suicide, and and some examples where it doesn't seem it is. Right. So for example, over two thousand years ago. 
Aristotle. You know Aristotle? I do. Know him personally. Aristotle was cited as knowing a stallion that supposedly threw itself off a cliff after it became aware of the fact that it had unknowingly mated with his own mother. Interesting. There's one example. Right. But there are, mo- there are more. There was a 2nd century AD Greek scholar called Claudius Alien. Don't believe him. He's, he's from another planet. <laughs> Who had an entire book dedicated to this, where he cited uh, 21 cases of animal suicide, including a dolphin who kept letting himself get captured, several instances of hounds starving to death following their owners dying, and even an eagle that sacrificed itself by combustion on the pyre of its dead master. Wow. And you see it these days as well. You often see it with, for example, orcas kept in captivity. Yeah, yeah. It's been known that they will often grind their teeth, they will beach themselves on the sides of the tanks, and many would say that this is them attempting suicide. Others would say it is just unusual behaviours caused by the stress caused by being in captivity. Same with the other situation. They would, these people would also argue that the only reason the dog's doing this is because it's so used to its master feeding it. It's not that it's wanting to die, it's just that it won't accept food from anybody else, for example. Yeah. So so I'm almost here now to, to say, well, animal suicide could be a thing, because although you've mentioned many times it's happened in captivity, talking about orcas brings a point about, you know when you get these mass whale strandings on beaches, there's been several occasions where it's not just been one whale that's been beached, it's been... Mass strandings. Mass, yeah. there's been almost 10 to 100 sort of whales that have all come to this beach. Now, this is... Where it's happened in the wild, where these creatures have almost chosen death because living the life that they are living is so bad of a quality now, it's almost worth them dying. Now, a lot of these, uh, we've been trying to find out why these mass whale strands happen because they are a mystery. It's like, why would this yeah. many animals suddenly you know, kill themselves overnight almost, you know? But it's actually because one of the one of the reasons is that they head for shore because of disease outbreaks. Oh. So they're simply too sick to swim. So a lot of zoonotic diseases that go around, especially in whale populations where they swim together as a close-knit group, spread really quickly around that group. So they all get sick at the same time and they all get severely sick, especially if it's a new disease from, from an external factor. And that means that they suddenly, they now, they just can't survive and they know that they can't survive. So they think the best thing to do is to swim uh, and beach themselves well, on. No, not necessarily beach, but they might even just seek out shallower water. Seek out shallower water to recuperate. But then currents also bring them in as well. So it's a mixture of sort of trying to sacrifice themselves, but also a mixture of the environment that they then find themselves in because of that as well. Well, I did promise you some examples where it's probably not classed as as suicide per se, but is caused by something else, but has been confused in the past. And so one of these is with mice. And again, disease. You might have heard of the parasite Toxoplasma. Toxoplasma gondii. Do you remember this one? Yeah. It infects mice, but it has the amazing ability to switch off the mice's... The mouses? The, the mice, mice's? The mice's? The mice's? The, the mouses? The mouses? Mouses. The mouses fear <laughs> of cats. It switches it off. And the reason why is because this parasite is able to reproduce within the guts of cats, can't in the mice. So it switches off the mouse's fear for the cat, 
so that then it will get eaten by the cat and be able to reproduce in the stomach. Wow. Which I think is pretty amazing. Yeah. And there's another very, very famous example. You, you Undoubtedly, if you've watched any David Attenborough programme in the past, you would have seen it. And that's the cordyceps fungus and ants, which is a parasitic fungus that will have spores sort of invade the body and the brain of the ants and cause them to go into a sort of frenzy where they will climb up to a very specific point at a branch and they'll use their mandibles to sort of grapple on to that specific point in the branch and they'll stay there whilst the fungus slowly grows out of their heads and then bursts open to release the spores for, for, more, for more fungus to form. So there's two examples for you of animals that have actually almost been forced into killing themselves but through the action of another organism i've got another example for you oh these are some weird deaths do you remember the trojan horse i do remember the trojan horse the it was well it was trying to sneak into people from troy trying to sneak, trying to sneak into, into somewhere else yeah yeah that wasn't troy wasn't troy yeah not troy the people of troy trying to sneak into not troy yeah that's an example of similar sort of thing no what is the trojan horse is a bit like that fungus well how is it well so the fungus gets inside the ant the ant is the horse mm. the fungus the people in the horse yeah so the people get in the horse the horse goes to somewhere stays in that place the fungus then the people for the fungus then come out of the ants to grow and to almost cause more devastation in the area that they do i thought you were going to give an example like the trojan horse like you're going to give a different example no 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 because that would have been really interesting it would have instead been. of it this slightly relevant comparison i well i think more than slightly i think at least 50 percent at least 50%. at least 50 percent the trojan horse is its own life and death story because i definitely in that story once the people have broken out the horse has almost given life to these people if i accept that it's a good analogy will you move on yeah sure all right that sounds good that sounds yeah. good all right next point then right oh, do you want a good death or a good birth sorry i think we talked a lot about death in the last in the last section that is true. so i think we need to go back to let's bring it around full circle shall we and talk about life 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 okay well Well, I will tell you about life then, Cyril. I will tell you about marsupials. Oh, yeah. Now, marsupials includes, of course, kangaroos, wallabies, possum, and female marsupials actually have two uteruses, or uteri, as I like to call them. They also have three vaginas. Wow. Two for intercourse, and the third one is for giving birth. But marsupials do actually have a few qualities that differ from them to most other mammals, okay? So first of all, unlike most mammals, they don't have a placenta that comes out. And the marsupial babies only gestate for about a month. What is most amazing, I think, is that when they're actually born, they're born still in an embryonic state. So their eyes and ears are hardly mature at this stage. Their nose, mouth, and front limbs are just about developed enough for the this embryonic baby to climb into their mother's pouch, where they will then continue to grow. Of course, meaning that marsupials, when they're first born, are probably the most dependent animals yeah. in the world yeah. on their mother. And they massively will depend at that stage on the mother's milk, particularly, to flourish, to grow, and uh, to grow into 
the non-embryonic stage where they can they can then be born. So, which I think is pretty amazing. And there is another example as well of a mammal that's a bit of a uh, standout in birthing, and that is the platypus, which along with the echidna, that's the two examples I best yeah. know. And then there's five species. There's five, yeah, five mammals, isn't there? But yeah, the, yeah. that's the one I sort of remember. Yeah, yeah. They actually lay eggs, which yeah. you don't imagine at all for mammals. The female will actually build a burrow to lay the eggs in, where they'll gestate for a couple of weeks, and then incubate for another sort of 10 days or so, using that big beaver-looking tail to sort of heat up nice. the, the eggs. And then the female will help the eggs hatching with an egg tooth, which is a tooth-like structure that they use to sort of break the eggs open to help their hatchlings out. And a caruncle, which is a strong bump on the snout, again, to sort of break the eggs open, in order to be able to lay eggs that can hatch. Oh. So they have to help the eggs hatch, yeah, yeah. but they are mammals that, mammals that lay eggs. eggs. Yeah. So, sorry, would you, would you have an omelette made out of platypuses? See, I know that it's a delicacy to have ostrich egg omelette, isn't it? Because those, those eggs are absolutely massive mm. and you could make, what do they weigh? Something like 2.5 kilograms. They're absolutely massive. Mm. So I think, well, are mammal eggs the same as bird eggs where they're, sometimes they're, they're not an embryo? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's an excellent point. Yeah, because, of course, the eggs that we eat aren't fertilised. No. Whereas I assume... I'm assuming every time a mammal produces an egg... Yeah. Platypus is fertilised mm. because it's not gonna, you know, that's probably one of the benefits or advantages as to why it still lays eggs is because it doesn't do it all the time. It's not what separates it from birds. It fills that niche. Yeah. So yeah, probably not. Probably not. No, I would have. I would agree. I don't yeah. think I could yeah. uh, eat a platypus egg because yeah. of your exact reasoning. So it's, it's next. Do you have a little fact about platypus that I have to let the audience know? Sorrel's advice. Mm. Sorrel's advice is back. If you ever want to talk about the animal that is the platypus. Please, when referring to it as plural, do not call it a platypi because you would be wrong. They'll and be you would tail. they would. You would look stupid. Yeah. It's platypuses, unfortunately, which sounds, sounds disgusting. Yeah. But that is the correct terminology. It's because of octopus, isn't it? It's be- it's because the same of- as octopus. Same as octopus. It's, octo- it's octopuses. Yeah. It stems Whoa. from, because the original words as to how these animals were named, that have this pus, platypus, octopus, it doesn't stem from Latin. It stems from Greek. And the plural technically should be octopode or platypode. But because we don't have ode as a plural in the English language, we have to just stick with the, the general ES because it's not a Latin word. So cacti, go ahead. Knock yourselves out. But platypuses, that's correct. If I hear you saying platypi and there's a knock on your door, it'll be me. And you know what, so it's me knocking on the door. Knocking on the door of a pint with nature's last fact of the <laughs> series. <laughs> We're into it. Sad. 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 But the death, as we said, the death of season two brings life in season three. Brings life in season three. And you know what? We're going out with some humdingers, I reckon. We are. Some, some humdingers. Some humdingers. Of stingers. Of oh, yeah. 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 So I guess the first. Uh, Point of call. I think I can already probably guess who won last week's fact off, but yep. am I right? You are. Daniel? He did. Well done. Well done, Tim. Well done, well done. But it's never just because of the guest, though. They, all, they always do come prepared with some really great facts as well. Or maybe people just don't like us. Yeah, or maybe we should get more guests on. You yeah. Think? Yeah. yeah. Fed up with us. Eventually, a pint of nature is going to be replaced with just completely the guests. different guests. Yeah, yeah just guests every week. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I did really like that uh, space trees fact that there'd be different colours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For it. That was really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Really good. And the Mercury. Oh, the double, double, sun, a, double sun, uh, double sunrise. Double sunrise. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, well done, ten. Yeah. But we've got the difficult decision there for Sorrel of who goes first this week. Well, since um, I'm going to count it as a fifty percent win because I share fifty percent of the DNA with the previous winner, so I'll go first with a half win. Oh wow! All right then. Yeah. Fine, I see I'm coming, in, I'm coming in with an aggressive approach this mm. week to see if it makes a difference into my voters' minds, oh, I guess. Okay. Yeah, so. Be aggressive then, sorry. All right. What's your, here's Here your we first go, here's my fact. first fact. Yeah. So, fact number one. We talked about spiders this episode a bit, and we talked about the female dying to allow the young to feed off the, the mother's body. But there's another time in some spider species, in the males anyway, about when they die. And some males of some species, what they do is after inserting their, their sperm transfer organs, which are called pedipalps, they insert them into the female. After they've done this, what they do is they then hang on in the female reproductive system and die so that they are now stuck in the female's genital just opening. Hang, just hanging. And they just hang there, Ooh. stuck in the female genital opening. But what that allows is no other male to mate with the female. Oh. So the hole is now closed. Oh, but instead of there that. being oh. just like something stopping, it's it's a dead, it's another dead male. Oh, that's imagine stopping if humans them. did that. So it's the male, oh, that'd be horrible. male oh. dead spider hanging from the female genital opening. Oh, so no other spider can that's mate. That's horrible. Aggressive. 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 That is aggressive. Right, so I'll go, I'll go aggressive then. Oh, no. Aggressive so, approach this week. Aggressive We're going to finish off with a bang, just just like that male spider well, did. Yeah. Well, let me tell you. The Lotta Mola, or the ocean sunfish as you might know it, yes. is in fact the world's heaviest bony fish. It can weigh between 247 and 1,000 kilograms. So it can weigh up to a tonne of fish that's a, that's huge, isn't that it? weighs a tonne. Yeah. I mean, that's... I think you mentioned the sunfish before. Probably have, because yeah, yeah. they are very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are also capable of producing more eggs than any known vertebrate. They can produce around 300 million eggs at once. What? 300 million, during the, during, no, not at once, during the spawning season, I should say. 300 million during the spawning during season. During one season? One season. That's insane. 300 million, yeah. And you might think, how do you even count how many eggs... Well, scientists were able to weigh a specific number of eggs, then repeat to get an accurate, accurate average, and then weigh all the eggs to get a total estimate, basically. So they weighed, they weighed all the eggs? Yes, but having weighed smaller amounts to be able to then sort of get an idea of how they much... They were in the right, right area. Eggs, yeah, right. how much the eggs weighed. Okay. That's insane. So you th- might think 300 million is, is pretty impressive. How many do you think survive? Oh, yeah, so I know with fish... The reason they spawn so many eggs is because barely any survive. Mm. So I'm going to say out of those 300 million during the season, 10 survive. Two. 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 On average, out of wow. 300 million eggs, due to climate change, fishing, other predators, on average, uh, out of 300 million, two survive. Two survive. That's insane. It is insane, isn't it? There you go. The, the vertebrate that produced the most number of eggs can only really have... To survive. Off with a bang. Yeah. Right, my fact number two. So I'm going to link, try and link life and death together in this one. I want to talk about naked mole rats, 
which are these pretty ugly looking creatures, but also yet weirdly kind of cute, but also no, they're pretty ugly. They are incredibly social mammals that live in big colonies, but just like bees, just like wasps, there's only one reproductive female, which again is called the queen. Now, she isn't a part of the family line. There's no, there's no heritage. It's not like a royalty system like humans have. If another female wants to become the queen, she, she can't. But to do this, she has to literally go and kill the queen. Kill the queen that was there before her. Mm-hmm. So that's the death part. So to be able to be the one that gives life, you have to be the one that causes to death. Life. Take You have to take life to give life. Mm-hmm. Which is... Oh, there's some quotes that you could come out with. That. This, this episode is very quotable. It is very quotable. But once she becomes queen, they can have about 10 to 15 babies at a time. But they are the naked morats are the only mammals whose bones grow after they, after they reach adulthood. So they continue to grow. So every time the queen gets pregnant, the disc space in between their vertebrate bones becomes bigger and then bigger and then bigger. At their peak, the queen naked morat can give birth to 33 babies in one go. Ooh, that's a lot. Which is the largest size litter of any mammal on Earth. So it's this, if one female naked mole rat thinks they can do better than the queen in power, it is a sacrifice that has to be made. They, they need to cause that death to be able to give more life. So that's my, that's my linkage there. That's my mm. fact number two. Yeah. I like it, I like it. Well, my uh, fact number two, so is about an animal you probably wouldn't have heard of. An ant echinus. Ant echinus. Ant echinus. I tried a few uh, pronunciations there just in case one of them's right. Ant echinus. A-N-T-E-C-H-I-N-U-S. Ant echinus. Yeah, that sounds about right. We'll start with your first one. This is a very small mammal, and during mating season, the male, and they live in Australia, I should say, during mating season, the male will go on a mad mating spree lasting as long as 14 hours that will lead to a, s- a fatal immune system breakdown and eventually death. Wow. So this is an animal... Another life and death. Yeah, another life and death situation. Yeah. Where the male of the species will go on a mad mating spree, give its own life, and the reasoning is that actually the likelihood of them surviving to the next mating season is so low anyway that they might as well try to inseminate as many females as possible. Right. And therefore, all this synchronous mating will lead to an overwhelming number of prey for the predators where, therefore, some of their offspring will survive. But it will lead to the, the male's death. It's fatal. They get gastrointestinal ulcers and immune system suppression, and it leads to their death. That's, 14 hours. That is commitment. Commitment. I think, I think that's what I'd call it. Commi- mm. Determination, commitment. And they're still around, so it's obviously working. Mm. Does the job. Yeah. Does the job fine. Does the job, but yeah. Life and death, are all. There you go, life and it's death. It's in the beer. It's in the beer. Fact number three. Okay, so my fact number three is more close to home. I mean, we've had, yeah. Oh, you did a did a mammal species then. Mm. I did a mammal the fact before that. You did. Now, I'm actually going to do a fact about humans themselves. <gasps> Human? Humans. A fact about our birthing story and our evolutionary birth story, almost. So, we decided in our evolutionary pathway that it was a great idea to, instead of be on four limbs... Be on two. We should be on two. We Bi- should suddenly... Bipedal. Bipedal. We should mm. become bipedal. And, you know, I would have said it's worked pretty well for us. But there's always 
disadvantages that come with advantages. Okay, mm. so maybe we've life had some death. advantages that have... Yeah, life and death. Maybe there's some advantages <laughs> that have outweighed our disadvantages. But one of the... You could label it as a disadvantage to begin with. Well, I'll turn it into an advantage as I go through this now. But women's hips became narrower because they had to now suddenly become on two feet. So it meant that, you know, all the stuff with gravity and the whole way that the body organised itself meant that the hips became narrower. That meant that the baby, so if, if a woman is pregnant, the baby has to leave the woman earlier because otherwise oh, it can't fit through. It'd be too big. Yeah. Which means that the baby is now premature. So it cannot survive. So you know, as, as you said, talked about giraffes right at the beginning. Yeah. When it falls six feet, within 20 minutes, it can walk. You know, it's that sort of thing. How long it takes a human baby to walk? It's because it was born premature. Because it, because it is born premature. We always think of premature two weeks. No, a baby is always born premature. So that's a disadvantage, right? But this has turned into an advantage and why we succeed as a society is because that we have been forced to become a more sociable species because we now have to care for young for much longer than we ever had to. A baby giraffe after a year could probably go off into the wild by itself and survive. A human baby has to wait till, what? what are we now? 22 and we still probably can't still, survive on our own we're still struggling aren't we there's a world out there yeah it's crazy oh. outside our own window <laughs> but it means that communities and this social attitude has been built around caring for the young so that one human can care for the young another one can go out and hunt or gather the fruit so it's built these communities and it's built mm. these villages which has built these towns which has built these cities which is advanced technologies. So it depends how far you want to go, but essentially. Because we stepped on two feet, it's meant we are now more sociable because we have to give birth prematurely. Mm. Thought I'd bring it back around. Fa- finale season, finale episode. Bit of a human fact. Bit of a human fact in there. We don't, do we? That's very interesting. Okay. Your turn. Well, Finish us not, off. Take not, us home. not quite as mind-blowing, but just rather weird, my last fact. The Suriname toad is basically capable of giving birth out of holes off the mum's back. So they give birth out of the back, out of of their backs. And this occurs because first the female toad will sort of lay the eggs, and then the male toad will fertilise them and place the eggs onto the mother's back. And over time, the female's skin will grow over the eggs to protect the eggs. So they'll have a new layer of skin form over the eggs so that it's just part of the toad. But then when the eggs hatch, they will burst through tiny holes in the skin of the mum and come out of the mum's back. That's very fascinating, but also really gross. At the same really time. gross, yeah. isn't it? It's really gross, yeah. really weird. Yeah. But, you know, I've had a, I had a, yeah. a nice weird fact. Yeah. I had a crazy sex-driven death fact. Yeah. And I had a big... Fish yeah, that's, well, that's all you can ask for in life. I mean, I'll, it wouldn't be a, an a pipe with nature podcast without finishing on on a gross fact. On a gross fact, giving birth out the back. Because mm. we we always do this. Like, I'm not sure whether it's a selfish aspect of us or or whether it's just to make it to like oh walk a mile in their shoes sort of thing. But you always try and think of it from like imagine if that was us. Oh yeah, you know? and that's why it's probably you know that's why we're like Ooh, oh, baby it's gross. birth. It'd be like a scene from Alien. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no. Just a baby popping out your back. Oh. Yeah. Oh, horrible. Yeah. So that's the note we'd like to leave you on, listeners. <laughs> As we finish season two, just, yeah. just picture that in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
But no, we made it again. We made it again. Cheers, sorry. Cheers, mate. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Another one done. It's been, it feels like, I mean, we started back in January, guys. So thank you for sticking with us yeah. for these six, seven months now. It's been, it's been a roller coaster, yeah. hasn't it, really? We've and been... hopefully this has been a humdinger of an episode to go out on. Because mm. I'll tell you what, it was a humdinger of a beer. beer. Yeah, it certainly yeah, it was. was. Very nice. Thank you very much for occasion. It was a yeah. delicious life and death beer. It was. And uh, it's been an honour talking about two of life's biggest moments with you. Yeah, it's been an honour talking about two of life's biggest moments with you as well. Stop it. Well, thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of A Pipe With Nature. That is season two wrapped up with a little bow on top. But please (laughs) join us again for season three. It's coming soon and we'll have plenty of plant stuff to come, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for listening. And good night. Good night.